Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here. Yes, I cover the Washington Commanders for the Athletic. I should probably stop saying that, right? If you're listening to this podcast, you probably figured that out by now. But that's what I do. Uh, And because I do that, that meant I was out here in Ashburn today because Ron Rivera gave his introductory press conference ahead of tomorrow's first day of training camp. I'm going to break that down, what he had to say in a moment here with my guy Steve Wino from the Associated Press and Matt Paris from the Washington Times. Then I'm going to play my interview that I did with uh, Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders to get that analytics view of the commanders, Carson Wentz, Terry McLaurin, this defense, uh, a really interesting conversation. We'll get to that in a few minutes here on the podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, the Athletic app, or anywhere you do your podcasting. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standig. You can follow, uh, it's at Matthew underscore Paris, and it is at S-W-H-Y-N-O, right? Yeah. S-W-H-Y-N-O, you got it. I, you know, I, you know, some people have underscores. I couldn't remember if the AP was in there. There's a lot going on. All right, let's get to this. No point in messing around too much. I would say... Like, this was about as unnewsy kind of a day, I would think, for an introductory press conference we've had, and probably in part because it feels like we've had nothing but newsy days in these parts. We're not even going to get into too much here to the Dan Snyder of it all. Maybe we'll tack that on towards the end of this. But in terms of the commanders, the football product, the, the, the story of the day is the, who went on the pup list. Again, not really surprising if you've been kind of paying attention to the expectations. Chase Young, Logan Thomas, Chase Rouillet, Tyler Larson, all on the pup list. Uh, Cornelius Lucas was added to the non-football illness list. It doesn't sound like he'll be out too long. Chase Young is the headliner, though, Matt. And I guess the one thing I would say is that Rivera offered no timelines for any of these players, but he ranked them essentially as Chase Rouillet most likely to come off first and Chase Young likely to come off last. And it didn't sound... I've been sort of pessimistic about him being ready for week one, and that view is not changing for me after hearing what he had to say. It was maybe the most pessimistic that Rivera has been about an injury or an injury timeline in general. He's a guy that doesn't reveal much detail when it comes to injuries. He was still trying to be careful to protect Young today. But, yeah, it was he, he called it an unfair expectation uh, for Young to be ready for the beginning of camp. And... Uh, it is. It, it doesn't seem like he still has a ways to go before he's actually ready in football shape. Right. I mean, for a guy who, like you said, doesn't really want I – mean, he flat out said to us he doesn't want to state timelines because it's unfair to the player. It might force guys to rush. Reasonable. But that the fact that he did say Chase Young was likely to be the last one, he talked about the seriousness – that's an actual word he used – the seriousness of the injury. Um and Steve, he also noted, like, if you're saying he's last, Logan Thomas had an ACL injury a month after Chase Young, and he's saying that Logan Thomas would be back earlier. He said that it's a different type of injuries, and that's where the was that extra complication with Chase Young's thing that maybe is now coming into play a little bit more. And you've pointed this out, that the, having the, the, the part of the other knee grafted onto the surgically repaired right knee did could go complicated i don't want to say complicated but made the process a longer one to come back from not necessarily that the left knee is a problem but you pointed this out correctly in the past that there is a certain layer of this 
and given kind of the position he plays and kind of how much of, of kind of the release and the push off matters that this is he's the face of the franchise they, they're making it very clear they're not going to rush him back what, what this does do in my opinion is it may, it lowers the expectation of people saying oh he could be back for week one and now you push the goalpost back and even if he's back sooner that's great right by being on uh, the physically unable to perform list you know if he stays on that by the beginning of the season he's gone for the minimum of six weeks so ideally he would have to come off at some point for that to to not be true but yeah it's it varies from a traditional acl tear which i think is more in the logan thomas category but logan thomas himself you know he tore his mcl tore both meniscuses he's suffering from a serious injury as well yeah for for, for sure when logan thomas spoke to us back in minicamp he sounded like a guy who was willing to accept he may not be ready for week one himself. So the fact that, like that, that Chase Young is behind that is uh, is notable uh, for sure. And of course, you know, it leads to then the question of like, you know, who's going to step in for him? And you know, that is what training camp is going to be all about. Is uh, you know, what we just discussed was sort of the 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 bummer part of this, and the rest of this now becomes straight up. Uh, optimistic you know about what training camp does how things go uh so on and you know you've got the, the guys like james smith williams casey Tuhill, fa obata shaka tony etc um who will be vying for snaps so we can debate you know we'll, we'll have plenty of time to discuss who's gonna who's gonna take over for those kinds of snaps um and we will see um other than that i mean like i said i think ron rivera was in a reasonably good mood uh there weren't really, you know, I, I don't think we, there weren't, there weren't a lot of tough questions today. And I'm not, that's not a criticism of us. Like we've asked a hundred times about Carson Wentz, about that, that choice. We didn't get into that today. Terry McLaurin, he's here. We don't have to worry about that situation. Yes, the, 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 the constant off the field stuff is there. And even that Rivera's kind of like, yeah, I expect something at this point. Like what, 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 what do you want from me? Like things are going to happen. Uh, and, you know, this week, Thursday, potentially, is when Dan Snyder is going to give a deposition to Congress. We'll see if that actually happens, but that's the on the on the deadline. So I thought that was interesting. Even that, he was like, yeah, what do, what do you want from me? Well, it's like, to, to reference old uh, PR guy, Tony Wiley, who's like, no drama training camp, drama-free <laughs> camp. Start out as a drama-free camp. Now, this, this could change very quickly, right, guys? <laughs> but, like, so far, it's the drama-free camp. You're right. Terry's here. We knew Chase was going to be out. Kind of everybody's still on track. Ron Rivera said it wasn't a setback with, with, with Chase Young, but just kind of the way the recovery is going. So this is what they want. For an organization that's never boring, occasionally boring day is okay. Yeah, and you think about it. This is actually – I was thinking about it, though. This is kind of how it was last year, too, a little bit. There wasn't – well, didn't uh, we had the COVID stuff early too? They did have the COVID stuff early, but going and Kurt on, Samuel. <laughs> yes. We, 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 but but those are the things that happened in time. But going in, you know, they knew that there was COVID issues, but you didn't necessarily realize it was every player that was out. Almost, <laughs> it wasn't to that severity yet. And it was also, you know, they had the stability at quarterback with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but things changed in a hurry, and so it's really just a matter of can they sustain this are things going to be this stable once the action actually starts yeah for 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 sure i'm trying to remember what happened last year training camp and i can't even get there it is so much has happened i mean even just you know i I have said before on this podcast that when i thought back to minicamp and otas i feel like i i know i watched practices but i almost feel like i was just distracted because we had you know again the snyder headlines we had the jack del rio situation we had the mclaurin holdout 
and all the action was off the field. At least for the moment, it feels like we're going to get on the field. So for you, Steve, what are you kind of excited to see the most this week? Really, it, to me, it's Wentz and McLaurin. To me, it's it's the the chemistry that they haven't been able to build, were able to build during off-season workouts because Terry McLaurin wasn't on the field as the contract negotiations were ongoing. Uh, to me, it's it's that part of it. Because, again, early in training camp, you're not seeing a whole lot of physicality and those sort of things. But just seeing Carson Wentz developing a sort of kind of rapport with Terry McLaurin, right, Matt? I mean, is yeah. that, that's got to be one of the things you're looking for. Yeah, I do. And the, the point I always make is that, you know, this offense hasn't had above-average quarterback play since Kirk Cousins. And that's over five years ago at, at this point. And so, How many quarterbacks ago for, for Terry is that? <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's I think he's on his ninth, right? Or the, ninth the, under Ron, ninth, so yeah. it'll be... Yeah, he's played, with, he's yeah. played with eight. I mean, yeah. this will be the sixth different week one starter, counting starting with Cousins last year, the sixth different week one starter. They've never had anybody start week one back-to-back years. Well, hey, I like writing quarterback profiles, so there we, we got go. something new to write. Right, yeah. even if Heineke somehow ended up starting week one, it would still be different because he didn't start last year. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to discuss Carson Wentz and everything that goes into that. But, yes, I mean, uh, you know, as has been stated, in theory, the, expect, the, the ceiling of this offense is raised – now we'll just have to see how he gets it, um, how he gets it done. I, I, the, the one thing I guess, somewhat of a quasi newsy thing that he said from a personnel perspective. Finally, finally he acknowledged that they may add people on defense, some some depth. But even then, he's going to wait the first week to look at the linebackers, look at the Buffalo nickel options, and then determine if they need to get more. I mean, my view is the answer is yes. Like you need just pure at least basic depth, especially at linebacker. But this will be the chance for your Percy Butlers, your Derek Forrest, I guess your Khalid Hudson's, and I guess to some degree even Jamin Davis to show what have you, you know, where are you with your game, and then they can make determinations from there. You know, and, and they'll have some of these, you know, undrafted free agents, uh, you know, get a shot to, 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 to participate as well. And I guess there's always a chance that one of those guys could impress enough to take over some role. But in a week from now, I would be, I, I've been saying I would be surprised if they don't add somebody. I've been wrong for months. I'll be surprised if in a week they don't add somebody, but we'll see. You know, I kind of think they're just going to stick with what they have. I mean, why does, theoretically, why does a week make a difference after going through a whole offseason of being able to evaluate these guys so far? I know it's different when the pads come on and those sorts of things, but it's really just a matter of, you know, they know what their linebacker situation is. It's past the June 1st deadline, so they don't have to worry about comp picks anymore. If you were going to bring a guy in, you, you know, you think about what Jack Del Rio said earlier. <laughs> not that, but <laughs> not, that, not, that one. <laughs> not that one. But his whole comments to Julie Donaldson about being on the same page, getting that chemistry throughout the offseason. You, you would, if they're going to bring in a linebacker to even play significant backup, uh, significant backup role, you think they'd want to incorporate him into the fold a little bit more. So. You know, I, I know that he said that they'll explore adding someone, but I kind of just think that maybe that they just stick with that and they just stick with their group. Uh, look, and anything is conceivable. I mean, I I just I'm a warrior. It's the Jewish mother in me. And like when you look at the linebackers, you worry? a little bit. When you look at the linebackers, even if Jamin Davis is able to go most of the snaps, who's the next guy? Oh, you sure. know, sprained ankles happen, and you know what happens then? They didn't use David May or Khalid Hudson last year until. They had no choice, so that's why I keep thinking they have to add someone. But again, who the hell knows? I mean, th- there's also still plenty of free agents out there, and my, my sense, having talked to some people around the league, is that teams are just offering all these guys the veteran minimum 
salaries. And if you're these players, even if that's where you have to sign up for, who cares about training camp? Just skip sure. it all, wait till the end of it, and see. So that may be what happens, but we will uh, we will see. Um, other than that, I mean, like I said, why not? I mean, it was a pretty uneventful opening press conference for this team in particular. Team, sure. Yeah. So I mean, I, you know, I take that as sort of a a, a, a good thing, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll be out here tomorrow and for the rest of the week. Uh, fans will be out here if you want to say hi to Matt Paris. You know, um, you know, you can wave keep, to us. You, yeah, you know, you, you can do Matt, that. Matt Matt sign autographs. will have his pen. <laughs> that would be amazing if somebody <laughs> asks Matt Paris to sign an autograph. That would be awesome. Not a picture. Sign an autograph. I have taken pictures. But, right, right. Yeah. That's why we need to raise the bar um, on that. How about for you? I think I asked Wino this, but not you. What, what's the thing like? You, what, what are you kind of most looking forward to seeing uh, this week? Beyond, let's just say Wentz or, uh, or or something like that. I'm interested to see what actual, like, more traditional training camp battles there actually are. Because if you go up and down this roster, there's really not many. I mean, if Rulia comes back, maybe right guard. But I don't even think that, uh, you know, do they stick with a Benjamin St. Juice in the slot? Or do they go back to the, the Buffalo nickel look? It, there's just not as many pressing questions about this actual roster which is why I think Rivera is so confident in them taking a year three jump is because he believes in this roster now. We can debate whether that's actually a smart plan, but they don't actually have a lot of questions about certain guys. Uh, actually, that that is, you talk about year three expectations, and one thing that was uh, was noted, you know, he keeps talking about the year three in Carolina. They made the jump to double-digit wins, so it he, by doing that, seemingly keeps raising the expectations. Thus, he was asked, I think it was uh, our friend Scott Abraham asked, does this sort of mean you're sort of a playoff or bust year? And Rivera said, quote, it's fair to say we expect to win and we'll leave it at that. So, I mean, that was like almost like the first time he sort of like, I mean, look, he would be crazy to say, yeah, playoffs are bust. Because obviously you don't want to do that because then if the bust happens, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're looking at a new coach next year. Um but, yeah, so that was notable. But, you know, again, that's also why he, you know, when he talks about, makes those Carolina comparisons, it was like, uh, you yeah. better be careful what you're what you're comparing here because especially at that point we don't even know who the quarterback would be. Well, he does. I mean, let's face it, he has set the expectations as playoff for bust because of the comparisons to Carolina. That Carolina team wasn't a nine-win team that, uh, you know, snuck into the playoffs, or the seven, eight, and one team that made the playoffs when they won the division. They were twelve and four. That's a, a very sizable jump, it's a jump that Rivera said that he believes that this team can make, and so he has. But you know, using the language playoffs or bust, it, it's just not a Rivera's very image conscious of what he sets the tone for his team to be, and even if he tells them that behind closed doors, he doesn't want the players have that sort of pressure to kind of know that or for us to ask him about it uh us to ask players about it constantly so i think he's careful from that point of view but by all intents and purposes it is a playoffs or bust year for this team just where they are are at in their development yeah i mean that, that's that, that is where we're at and whether ron rivera wants to say it or not and it's realistic not to say it, it as he said about the kind of chase young time frame it's an unfair expectation to say it but from ownership and management and all that, there's a reason why these draft picks, a lot of these guys were kind of not high ceiling, but more NFL ready guys that you could see by the actions. It doesn't matter what, he, what Ron Rivera says. The actions of this organization make it clear that the goal is to make the playoffs this year. And anything short of that is a failure. 
Noted. All right. Well, look, there, 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 there. Am I wrong? Am I I wrong about that? I, 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 no. I mean, look, I, look, I mean, I think to, I I mean, to a certain degree, playoffs are, is like, is relative to all the other teams in the league, right? So all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, another seven win season, we can't be talking about, well, we're making steps forward. They at least at a minimum. Unless seven seven wins get you. (laughs) Injuries aside, you got to see expectations. You got to have a winning record and then go from there, whatever that means. Um, and, and, you know, like we've seen before with this team, you know, not just sort of limp into the playoffs, even with a winning record, like be, you know, have some sustainable success. They have the good news is no offense to Steve's uh, favorite team, but they start off the year with an easy game, relatively speaking, against Jacksonville. Can't, can't lose that game. That, that, can't lose that game. Then Detroit. So they got off a chance to get off to a good start. We'll see how that uh, goes. Any final thoughts before I let you two go uh, get back into the wild? Yeah, just um, with... Him not saying playoffs or bust, I do think injuries uh, factor into that. You know, knowing Chase Young's going to take uh, a bit, I think it kind of lessens those expectations for uh, Young to rush back if it's a playoff or bust year. I think it gives him a little bit more leeway, and I think it kind of all comes full circle of why Rivera says or doesn't say certain things. Yeah, and, and, and another thing also about Carson Wentz is the fact that Ron Rivera took time to talk to Carson Wentz uh, kind of about this. Like, this is the guy who is trying to stabilize a position that, that has been topsy-turvy for so many years that there is a lot of expectation on Carson Wentz. And I think that's something that is very obvious from the outside, but they, they traded for this guy. They identified and traded for this guy. And when you're saying we're, we need to solve one big problem, there's a lot on the shoulders of Carson Wentz this season to get this team into the playoffs. Yeah, with, without a question. All right, so they're out here Wednesday to Saturday practicing. Padded practice is not till next week. Do we have a date on that one yet? That's a great question. Nice. They're, 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 wearing, they're wearing the helmet I'm thing. still they're working my way. way in the camp. <laughs> yeah, for, 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 for real. They will be, yeah, they will be wearing the sort of extra padding on the outside of the helmet throughout camp. It's going to be a wild look when you see the pictures. If you haven't already, it, it's, a, it's a wacky look. Um, all right. What's not wacky is uh, these two guys talking football, Matt Paris with the Washington Times, Steve Wino with the AP. Um, now I'm going to switch over to the analytics conversation. Uh, fun one. I spoke with Aaron Schatz the other day from Football Outsiders. Uh, got into the Carson Wentz of it all. What does he see uh, this new quarterback doing for Washington? We'll do that right now here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right, it is time to get a little bit smarter when it comes to how we view the Washington Commanders and the NFL season that is rapidly approaching here to help us do that he is the main man behind football outsiders he is Aaron Schatz Aaron thanks so much for coming back to the podcast hey thanks for having me on this is the second time you and I've had a chance to talk this week you were kindly able to come on the radio with me the other day so I appreciate the fact you're not completely sick of me uh just yet and sick of talking about the the wacky Washington commanders You, you, you know you obviously are tasked with talking about all 32 teams do you get like when when different people from different uh, markets call you up do you get more excited or less excited You're like oh god that's a great team to talk about oh boy i don't want to really talk about that group again i mean there are teams i think that are more exciting than others it's listen it's more fun to talk about the good teams it's more fun to give good news than to give bad news <laughs> yeah no uh no doubt about that um so because you do cover all 32 teams, and I know you, you have a lot of information in your head and on, on the site. And by the way, we should mention Football Outsiders, of course, has their uh, season preview up. You can go buy that over on, uh, on the website. You can also buy the hardcover version of this, which I had last year. You can buy the subscription. You can download on the website. And of course, buy you can buy the season-long 
subscription as well, which I, which I have done my, myself. Which is on sale, by the way. The season-long subscription is on sale until the end of July, and you get the download of the Football Outsiders Almanac 2022 for free if you get a subscription. So FO Plus, it's a footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Sales are a good thing. Go, 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 go take advantage, people. Um, so, okay, that said, you've got to cover a lot of information. So, you don't, you know, you, your different points are covering, you're focused on different teams and uh, looking this year, looking back. So, I may be asking you a question that is a little bit, a little outside the box. But before we move to Washington this year, I'm curious, what did you think about last year when you look back at what, what happened? Did anything surprise you, good or bad in particular? when it came to this team that maybe from your perspective helped kind of explain what happened last year? Yeah, the defense was lousy. That was a surprise. <laughs> they, they were lousy. <laughs> I mean, the defense had been very, very good the year before. And all parts of the defense seemed bad. Uh, the front four, which is supremely talented, really underperformed, even when everybody was healthy before the injuries. Uh, Jamin Davis had problems at linebacker in his rookie season. Coverage was a real problem for the team. It seemed like the coverage was always discombobulated. Every part of the defense, like every level of the defense, just underperformed. And it was quite a surprise. Yeah, I mean, um, I think we were all very surprised, especially like they were just really terrible on third down defense uh, starting the year. And they ultimately finished next to last. You know, arguably they got a little bit better as the season went on, but not, not super well, um, when you look at the numbers, like people constantly want to know what happened there on third down defense in particular. Can you from like identify like and, and this may not be what what you guys are, are, are about per se, but like what do you see when you see a defense that bad at third down? What do you sort of pinpoint as to what went wrong there? I mean, it could be any number of things when a defense is that bad. It could be pass rush. It could be coverage. I think for Washington, it was both. Um, they were the worst defense in our numbers on third and fourth down against the pass, uh, you know, which accounts, first of all, third and fourth down, but also accounts for how many yards are needed. It's not just like what's the average number of conversions for the offense. It's, you know, how, how often do you convert based on how many yards are needed? So, um, I mean, they really struggled in every area of the defense. It's hard to pin one area down. There's just bad stats all over the place. And yet they really didn't make any significant additions that this year. I mean, Landon Collins is gone and that's not that surprising. That's like the one big change. Their starting defensive line will be back once, whenever Chase Young returns from his knee injury. Um, it looks like Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis will be the two primary linebackers. And then in the secondary, they're bringing back the two corners and the two safeties more or less. So to, to, to the degree that you, they struggle that much, are you surprised that there really haven't been more changes of any kind of note on defense personnel wise yeah i mean one thing that we note in the book is that the other teams that are on our list of the worst third down defenses of the last decade tended to make changes they tended to change their defensive coordinator bring in free agents draft young players and washington didn't do that stuff it's the same coordinator it's the same players that being said there is an element here of First of all, these players were better two years ago. Like, first of all, the ones on Washington were better. And second of all, like William Jackson, when he was in Cincinnati, was better. 
So you have to assume that these players are better than they showed last year. And then there's just an element of statistical regression in general. Like teams just aren't that bad on third downs two years in a row. Like they're going to be better than that. Um, right. I, I, saw the, I saw the notion of the regression in this way in the, in the positive way. And you're right. I mean, that's the thing about what's interesting about Washington this year. It feels like their offense has made some changes, you know, Carson Wentz, clearly a polarizing guy, but an upgrade you would think, at least talent-wise, over what they've had. They add Jahan Dotson. They're hoping, fingers crossed, that Curtis Samuel actually plays <laughs> this year. They draft Brian Robinson in the third round. Um, if the offense can be sort of just middle of the pack as opposed to sort of just a really ineffective group, and the defense could raise up sort of just like what you're saying with just basic, you know, regression aspect, you know, going that other way. They should be better. So that alone is why I think there's some level of optimism here. Do you kind of broadly share in that? Yeah, listen, we are not Carson Wentz fans. And it goes beyond How statistics. How dare you? Like, I'm just we'll, we'll be honest, right? Statistically, <laughs> last year, he was an average NFL starting quarterback, which is a you know better thing than what Washington had otherwise. But we're really worried about you know, his inconsistencies, what happened at the end of last year, reports about what he's like in the locker room. Again, the locker room stuff is not statistical. We're statistical analysts, but we don't ignore the intangibles. We just don't try to measure the intangibles. Um, but you're right. If their offense can be average and their defense can be average, they have an easy schedule, you know, they're going to be in the hunt at the end of the season. I just don't know if their offense can be average. I think their defense can be average. I don't. I don't know if their offense will. Is is the concern about the offense not being average? Is that just largely on Wentz, or are there other variables yeah. for you? Well, I mean, listen. It's there's also you know depending on Curtis Samuel to get healthy and, and a rookie receiver. Both both of those things seem iffy. There's like a sort of a wide range of possible outcomes for both those players, Dotson and Samuel. Uh, but mostly it's about Wentz. Um, a lot of it's going to come down to Wentz himself. He has to figure out what, what, what's gone wrong the last couple of years. How does he improve? And, you know, I like to think human beings can improve, but obviously <laughs> there's, there's some questions there. But I think Scott Turner obviously is going to be here to try to help as, as much he can. And that's a combination of your basic coaching, you know, whether that's, you know, footwork or, hey, when, do you, when you see this, read this, things like that. There's also play calling. What, what have you seen out of Scott Turner these first couple of years that he's been an offensive coordinator that would maybe give you some hope that he could help Wentz? Because I think Wentz, Turner's not done a bad job. He just hasn't had much to work with. So it's almost kind of hard to know exactly what he's capable of if he has sort of a legitimate starting quarterback. I think that that is a reasonable uh, discussion point. Uh, we mentioned this when I was did the radio show a couple nights ago, but Washington is very high in play action. They were like second in the league in what percentage of their passes used play action last year. That's a real positive in general in football. And for Wentz specifically, I think that that will really help him along. So that's a real positive from Scott Turner. Um, whenever we talk about play callers and, you know, guys like Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan just get crazy praise. Um, and, and maybe deservedly so. And then others are people a little more skeptical. What for you, when you look at some numbers, what, is there a way to tell from your perspective, wow, this guy really is a tremendous play caller. There's something that he's doing uh, that, that makes sense. And then and if so, like, how do you kind of assess Scott Turner in the, in that sort of uh, discussion? Well, I feel like analytics that try to like 
nail down how good play callers are end up just sort of being a measure of everything intangible rather than just the play caller. But I mean, you know, we do look for the things that analytics sort of search for, like, do you use motion more? Do you use play action more? Do you pass the ball more? Or are you stuck running the ball all the time, right? So the ne a negative, for example, about Scott Turner is that Washington ran a lot in second and long situations. And you really want to really run rarely in second and long situations because second and long runs tend to be very uh, inefficient. Yeah, I yeah, know that, that makes sense. You know what? I meant to actually start with this and then I quickly got excited to talk football. Where we, we mentioned that you, we want people to subscribe to Football Outsiders. And for people who maybe haven't yet, and maybe they're almost maybe a little afraid to dive into the analytics bent. What, what is interesting about for you guys, D, your DVOA stat has become sort of, I would say, your signature statistic. What, what's sort of behind that? And what are the things that people kind of go to at Football Outsiders? And there's so much information. What are a couple of things that maybe just for them to sort of start with, to get a feel for what you guys have to offer and maybe as a way to kind of consider a team like Washington? Well, the free stuff is, you know, the DVOA for history, we go all the way back to 1981 now. We've analyzed play-by-play -play in the NFL all the way back to 1981, which brings you a lot of interesting stuff. Washington fans will want to check out 1991 because Washington, the 90, 1991 Washington team is the best team in our numbers ever. Um, but as far as like for using for now, uh, there's all kinds of interesting splits. You can look at how teams have performed by down, uh, how they perform by quarter, how they perform against different types of receivers. Are they strong against number one wide receivers? Are they strong against number twos, against tight ends, against running backs? We also have a whole bunch of uh, fantasy football research tools uh, that you can look at things like target shares and run shares and yards before contact and um, you know how many balls guys catch compared to expectation. And there's like a bunch of tools like that are part of the FO Plus subscription. Just in, in general, clearly, I like I remember when I first started hearing about you, maybe it was on Bill Simmons, I'm not sure, but I, that's maybe around the point where I started hearing about you and then the analytics started becoming a bigger deal. It's obviously very prevalent now. I mean, you, can, you know, it's, it's, it's a constant part of the conversation. What, 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 what's been the biggest notice and difference for you, not just in terms of the, the casual fan conversation, but in terms of teams themselves, how analytics has become a bigger part of how teams are, are, are uh, doing things? Now, there's two things that I think really represent the rise of analytics in front offices. One is the change since 2018 and how often teams go for it on fourth down. People know that is an analytics hobby horse. We have ridden that thing <laughs> since I started doing this. I've been doing this now for almost 20 years. And like we just fourth down, fourth downs, fourth downs. We talk about it constantly. Um, the other is the like drop in how much running backs get paid. Like, I'm sorry that that's one of the things that we're responsible for, <laughs> but like, there's no question when you look at what running backs get paid compared to other positions 20 years ago, as opposed to now, like it's obvious that analytics has played a role in the distribution of pay to players based on position. No, it's interesting. Uh, Growing up, running backs were the focal point of beyond quarterbacks. Running backs were the focal point of an offense far more than receivers. Running backs have won the NFL MVP. I don't think a receiver ever has. But we clearly are in this pass-happy era of the NFL. I had somebody in the league the other day say to me that teams basically look at 
when putting together a roster, like it's a seven on seven league at this point and, and sort of adjust a- accordingly is, is it is, is so it's almost like, it's not even just, it's the running backs have maybe been de- devalued, but also the receive the rise of the receiver. Is that sort of the, is that a fair way to look at it? I think so. And, but, but I mean, it's really every position other than running back and run stopping, you know, run stopping defensive tackles are worth less now than they used to be run stopping linebackers are worth less than they used to be. You know, offensive linemen are worth more wide receivers are worth more cornerbacks and safeties and edge rushers are all worth more. It's the, the league has really gone in this past direction and it, it always has been since the liberalization of the passing rules in 1978, but analytics made it clear that we were going in that direction. And then we just kept going in that direction. Like they just kept passing rule changes that made passing easier and easier. But front offices understand that now, like some commentators may still be stuck in the seventies and the idea of running to win, but the front offices, when you look at who they give money to, Forget what coaches say to the media. When you look at who they give money to, like it's clear the front offices know it's a passing league. Right. It's interesting. And you mentioned the run-stuffing linemen. And we have a little bit of a situation here in Washington where they have four defensive linemen picked in the first round. I have been stating forever, you can't realistically extend all of them. It just it just doesn't it's not great asset allocation. I mean, I guess if they're all dominant, but they're not. Uh, that you can't extend them all. And the, of the two defensive tackles, they extended Jonathan Allen, who is much more of the pass rusher. And Deron Payne, I've been reporting, is like it looks unlikely that they're going to extend him anytime soon, if at all. And he's more of the run stuffer. Um, I know I looked in your guys' discussion of the line and didn't seem like, not, not to say thought Deron Payne's a bad player, but like maybe he was not particularly impressive last year relative at least to some sort of expectations. Is that a good way to look at it when people are trying to understand why this guy versus that guy? Is that a good example for, with those yeah. two tackles? Payne had better pass rushing stats than you might expect. He had 27 hurries last year and Allen had 31. But Allen in general, like over a multi-year period, gets more sacks and more hurries and he's more of the pass rusher. You're absolutely right, which means if you look at the four linemen, the one who's most replaceable is Payne. Uh, and so that he's not, he's the guy, if they have to choose not to pay one of them, he's the guy they're going to choose not to pay. Right. Now, replacing Chase Young would obviously be a guy from a pure potential standpoint is not an easy guy to replace. You drafted him number two in the overall in the draft for, for a reason. He had a really good rookie year. Last year, though, even before the knee injury, he was underachieving from a sacks perspective and just like, play to play I think Ron Rivera constantly talked about the lack of maturity and discipline and he never really said Chase Young but we kind of knew he was meant Chase Young but you guys seemed as I looked at your numbers or or what you had written you guys actually said you were maybe I'm saying optimistic is maybe a bit stretched but you didn't you thought there was reason to buy into Chase Young bouncing back because some of the numbers indicated he actually maybe had a better year to a degree than we were looking at it yeah I'd say optimistic he had 20 hurries in nine games that's pretty good. You know, usually a guy with 20 hurries is going to have more than 1.5 sacks. So I think his sacks are going to bounce back somewhat. But the whole thing about the Washington defense was weird last year. Like, these guys are too talented to play the way they did last year. And part of the optimism is that. And we know how good they were two years ago. That that talent is still there. Um. It is. Um, and let me ask you one more guy on Washington. We'll go back to the other side of the ball. I'm bouncing all over the place for you, uh, but I know you can take it. Uh, Terry McLaurin, 
got that done. At least we don't have to worry about that topic going into to camp. And he's now one of the top six pay highest paid receivers in all the land. Um, I don't know if it necessarily matters where he ranks because he's important. Washington paid him not just for what he does on the field, but also off the field. He's a locker room guy, face of the franchise, that type of thing that maybe other receivers don't have to to deal with. But that said, there is a question of like, where does he fit in to the receiver landscape? There are a ton of wide receivers who are really, really good. Where do you kind of view Terry McLaurin in that conversation of the better receivers in the league? And what do you think maybe we could expect out of him this year with uh, a new quarterback? It's tough because our numbers don't separate receivers from quarterbacks. So, you know, McLaurin doesn't come out really strongly in our numbers. That being said, he comes out a lot better than the other receivers in Washington. So clearly he's doing something right. And everybody out there who does do numbers that chart and attempt to separate receivers from their quarterback have McLaurin near the top of their numbers. So my guess is he's not like a top six receiver. If I was going to rank all the receivers in the league, I wouldn't put him in the top six, but I'd probably put him somewhere between like eight and 12. And the fact is you don't pay guys based on how good they are. You pay them based on when they come up. Right, Right. Right. So, I mean, he's good enough. Certainly if you have a guy in the top 15 and he comes up for a contract, you got to give him the money. Right. Timing is everything. Guys like Justin Jefferson, not up for a contract yet. Um, J- Jamar Chase, not up for a contract yet. If I don't know if you guys have him ahead McLaurin or not, but yeah. Those I would, I, yeah. I would rather have Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson than McLaurin, but it's not, that's not meant to be a diss on McLaurin. Like Jefferson's first two years have been really outstanding. Yeah. No, with, with that, with, with, with that, uh, without a doubt. Um, to broaden out the situation, you know, we cannot talk about Washington specifically to we're blue in the face, but you have to look at it compared to others. It isn't just what they're doing, good or bad. It's also about what else is happening around them. So just to look at the division, the Cowboys win the division last year. The Eagles make the playoffs. Giants have big changes, coaching staff, front office staff. Um, it's a division where nobody ever repeats <laughs> as champion. Um, and I don't think this is considered to be one of the better divisions in the league. And that's me being kind to say that it's, not viewed, but even close to being one of the better divisions. So there's a world, I think, where if Carson Wentz, we get the better version of Wentz and the defense gets back to sort of at least the middle of the pack world, that Washington could be the division winner. But that's hypothetical. You've got the data. What what do you kind of look at that with this division and how Washington fits in? I mean, our numbers say that Philadelphia and Dallas are being underrated by the public. Dallas was our number one team last year, and they're not as good this year because of player losses. But listen, I mean, yeah, Dallas lost in the playoffs, but they lost a close game in the playoffs to another really good team. That happens, right? It's not like that signifies that all of a sudden they're a bad team or something. We love Philadelphia and what they've done this offseason. Obviously, there's still questions about Jalen Hurts. But, um, you know, the the talent that they've brought in, A.J. Brown especially, but also Hassan Reddick, getting Brandon Graham back from injury, uh, bringing in James Bradbury. There's just a lot of talent infusion in Philly. They are our division favorites. Uh, we hate the Giants roster. Hate, hate, hate. They come out as our worst team in our projections. Uh, we absolutely believe in their in the new front office and coaching staff in the long term. But we have a feeling they dislike their roster as much as we dislike their roster. And we are not judging them by what happened. Um, when you say the worst team, you mean in the entire league or just in the division? The entire league. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Even though the whole NFC East comes out with easy schedules, Philadelphia has the easiest schedule in the league by our numbers. But we, are, our numbers do not like the Giants. Do not. Do not. 
All right. Keep, keep that in mind. Um, you know, when we talk about what's the optimism for Washington and we just mentioned, you know, the quarterback with some better physical tools, defense, get, get, finding their way, blah, blah, blah. Strength of schedule though, always is a, is a, is a consideration. <laughs> Last year, they had a much, a much more challenging schedule, tons of great quarterbacks and things went maybe accordingly. How much does the strength of schedule ultimately really play out? And that's right. It's such a wacky variable because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. That's the whole point of all this. But how much does strength of schedule actually play out to the degree that we're saying teams have an easy one and thus can take advantage of it or the other way where if it's a challenging one and it becomes a problem? It definitely plays a role, except A, it's hard to predict before the season right? The, the best schedule and worst schedule end up being much stronger or weaker than anything that we project. And the other is that you generally have the same schedule as the other teams in your division, right? Right. So when we're projecting schedule for this year, Washington has an easy schedule, but so does Philadelphia and so does Dallas and so does New York. Yeah, no, uh, for, for, for sure. Uh, part of Washington's easy schedule, I guess I would imagine is like you get to play the AFC South, uh, not not yeah. a ton of dominant teams there. I mean, the Titans were you know the one seed last year, but it looks like they're probably going to take a step. We back. have the whole the whole AFC South. Their average projection is below five hundred. The whole division. Wow. Okay. Well, they, well, there you go. It's a good year then to to play them. Washington gets Jacksonville in Week One. I'm not going to ask you to go through all the games, but just to get a little bit look at at that game. Trevor Lawrence is obviously was the number one pick in the draft. Um, you know, high expectations for him, but last year. Do you just throw it all out because Urban Meyer it was such a train wreck, or or what do you? How do you view that team? Because look, this is one of these games where I hate to say like Week One is a must win, but it kind of feels like what for Washington it's kind of a little bit of a must win considering it's at home and Jacksonville is viewed as bad. Is that something that is, is you know is is Jacksonville looking like a team that's going to be a bit of a, a pushover? There's no numbers that say, hey, Urban Meyer was the worst coach in NFL history. But I think subjectively, a lot of us feel Urban Meyer was close to the worst coach in NFL history. So subjectively, I would say, yeah, throw out what Jacksonville did last year. Now, were they good two years ago? No. But there's been a huge, uh, a huge upgrade at the head coaching position. And we know how good Trevor Lawrence was considered coming into the league. He's got to be a lot better than he was last year. So I think Jacksonville is like sneakily mediocre. Okay. So I, I, I'm just curious. Like there were a ton of coaching head coaching changes this year, Jacksonville, Denver, Giants, lots of places. Uh, how, how do you factor in that when you're doing your numbers, when, there may be some stability, but like in terms of the personnel, but if you have a coaching change, how do you, how do you uh, gauge for that when you're looking at, uh, you know, a, a team for the next season? In general, all other things being equal, a team that is learning a new scheme on one side of the ball will not be as good on that side of the ball. Gotcha. Okay. And you can't really do analytics for specific coaches because I have no evidence of Brian Dable and how good a head coach he is because he's never been one before. So there's no there's no numbers to use to say, oh, hey, Brian Dable effect. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like at least like with Lovey Smith, like he has been a head coach. There's some precedent you can look at perhaps and say, you know, X versus a guy is a coordinator. You have no idea. That's totally, um, totally reasonable. Uh, is there like just broadly when you look at all your numbers, you have tons and tons of numbers was there any one number for you just like wow that was such a fun number to uncover i don't mean just the commanders just for any team just some stat that you're just like kind of blown away by uh, this year 
the, the biggest blow you away stat about last year was that Denver, their offense was way better than anybody thought, and their defense was nowhere near as good as people thought it was. Denver finished third in the league in points allowed, and it was a complete statistical mirage because of the fact that they played at a ridiculously slow pace on offense. And therefore, their games featured fewer drives than anybody else's games, and therefore fewer opportunities to, for both teams to score points. Plus, because of the way special teams work in Denver, kickoffs and punts always go longer in the thin air. So all offensive drives, both for you and your opponent, in general, start off further back. So Denver was 20th in defense in our DVOA stats and 20th in yards per drive, but something like fourth in points per drive because teams had to drive more yards in order to score. And they had fewer opportunities because of the fact that the offense played so slow. So therefore our projections for this year will shock Denver fans. The average, right, we, we do our projections as the average of a uh, their average offensive projection is fourth, and I believe their average defensive projection is 29th. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm listening to you describe that, and you're saying that, like, on the surface, people may not assume that about either side of the ball. Um, I know for me, like, I'm not pretending I'm some football snob, but, like, I, because I'm covering the commanders every day, I'm aware of things that are happening, and then I'll talk to my casual friends, and they'll say some things that I just kind of want to be like, oh, my God, I'm, like, rubbing my temples right now looking at you. Do you, do you, you must get that all the time if you're having the standard sort of barroom conversation about football. Does that, <laughs> did you get driven crazy by sort of the more casual pedestrian conversations that the, the majority of people are having? Sure. I mean, listen, my team, right, I, I've never hid this. My team is the Patriots. I'm a Patriots fan. I live in Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, but I obviously look at them with a much more analytical and skeptical eye than everybody else. So talking to other Patriots fans who are very casual fans can be very difficult because um, there's this sense of like Bill Belichick can do no wrong that I don't really agree with. And then there's one of the two sports radio stations in town is the exact opposite. They're like, everything Bill Belichick does is wrong, which I also don't agree with. So it could be a little difficult. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I just in general, I always like try to live in the gray of conversations because I think that's where most of the time things are. Other unless you're, of course, talking about Dan Snyder and then things tend to be a little more uh, black and white. Um, so just to wrap this up on the commanders, just give me your sort of overall view. What's your view of what do you think is going to happen this year? What do you think is maybe like the one or two things that are going to make or break the season for Washington? I mean, Wentz makes or breaks the season. The defense has to be better. Like it's really impossible to imagine the talent on this defense and how they played in 2000, 2020. It, it's really hard to imagine that they're going to be as bad as they were last year. Do, can they be like the number two or three defense again, the way they were two years ago? unlikely. Will they be better? Sure. So, so much comes down to wins. The difference between this team going like 10 and seven and going like seven and 10 is really wins. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And plus just like the NFL in general, right? It just feels like with every, almost except for the best teams and the worst teams, I, you can throw out like sort of that seven to 10 win in range and a break or two goes. There's their a way lot and... of randomness with only a 17 game schedule. There's a lot of randomness, both uh, the biggest random, you know, the big, biggest elements of randomness are 
the bouncing of an oblong ball and who's going to pick it up when it, you fumble it and injuries. Like you never know. Like we're all like, oh, Buffalo this, Buffalo that. Well, what if Josh Allen gets injured, right? It's a possibility. Then Buffalo's going to, you know, no, be nowhere near as good, right? So like every team, so much injuries matter so much. Look at last year's Baltimore Ravens. Jeez. So there's a lot of randomness and a lot of range of possibilities in the NFL. For sure. All right. Well, you can eliminate your own personal football thinking randomness by subscribing to Football Outsiders. Uh, Aaron mentioned they've got a sale on their uh, season preview. You can follow Aaron on Twitter at F-O underscore A-Shats. That's A-S-C-H-A-T-Z. Aaron, appreciate the the double hit with me this week. Uh, Best of luck going forward here and look forward to talking to you uh, again. All right. Thanks for having me on the show and good luck to the commanders this season. Oh, boy.